This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 391. Nicole Weber on subconscious performability. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back to the program, and no, really, welcome back. Hey, it's Jason Lynette, and we did take a bit of a pause in doing episodes for a couple of weeks as there's a brand new Work Smart Hypnosis 3.0 version of the website coming out rather soon, and also changing some of the tone of this program, and plus some other big projects, I'd always crack the joke, that uh, many years ago, like five years into running this program, I heard someone else's podcast and they said, like in May, they said, well, that wraps up season four. We'll be back with season five in September. And I was like, wait, that's an option. We've kind of been doing every single week since we began. So we did a couple of solo episodes over the past few weeks and so excited to have Nicole Weber on the program here today. Uh, I first met Nicole as she was living over in Germany and I since then, as you'll hear in this conversation, got the rest of the story that actually born in the United States and then migrated over to then Germany and then currently in the works to migrate everything once again back over here to the U.S. And it's an incredible conversation that I already kind of predicted, which is where you're going to hear that uh, she may be one of the first people that was already invited for a version two of the conversation, a, a second episode, even before we recorded the first one, as there's, as you might imagine, with this big of a move coming up, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of projects in the works, and yes, a lot of stuff at play to then make that happen. And I would say that's probably one of the bigger takeaways of this week's episode, that first of all, you're going to hear... Uh, specific passion of Nicole's, that of working with horses, all things equestrian arts, and the journey of beginning a career starting with what she was already familiar with, which I firmly don't just believe, but I actually know is a message that a lot of you need to hear, who are often kind of stalled at the beginning trying to figure out which direction to go. And then, even better, through experience and time, she began to then expand the work that she did to many other categories, to be someone who's quite confident working with people from all different backgrounds, all different experiences, including, of course, the standard fare that we would have inside of the hypnotic world. Yet, beginning with what she was already familiar with, and even as things are running strong, to make that decision that we can pivot at any specific time. And there's some really cool moments in this conversation to listen out for the way that uh, she kind of blew me away with an extremely streamlined way of doing regression in a dissociated state. As she said, there's no need to re-traumatize your client. How do we build some buffers inside of our work for a much more positive and even interactive change journey? And uh, I will openly tell you a conversation on what may be underneath and where imposter syndrome may not be a weakness, it may actually be a bit of a strength to begin to think very differently about the work that we do. And yes, finally, the revelation as to whether or not she hypnotizes the horse. 
If that doesn't have you listening all the way through to the end, I do not know what will. Uh, you can head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to track down this week's episode with Nicole Weber. There's a search function up on the top of the page. Weber is spelled with one B in the middle, W-E-B. ER. And this episode, again, is Nicole Weber on subconscious performability. We will link to her website over on that page, which is performabilityllc.com. And while you're there, check out worksmarthypnosislive.com. This is the live, interactive, live and online training that I actually do as of now, currently co-taught with Richard Nongard. Uh, in a world where there's a lot of frustrated hypnotists, this becomes a rather interesting approach to doing a certification program where classically half of the attendees are brand new and this is their first, let's say, foray, soiree, what's the right word? Journey, let's go with that, into professional hypnosis. Meanwhile, the other half of attendees are people who perhaps on paper are significantly trained. And yet, you know that feeling when you're not quite getting the results you feel you should? When you feel like your hands are glued to different scripts or rigid outlines? Or perhaps, as many of us have done, we have been trained in a rather dogmatic approach to hypnosis, and then we reach the age of reason and realize, oh wait, the same way that all of our clients are different, all of our sessions should be different. If I was to suggest to you the idea that you could sit down with a client completely unprepared, after the training, of course, you could sit down with a client completely unprepared and have them tell you exactly what they want to work on and exactly the goals they want to achieve and feel the confidence that you can customize them on the fly. If you can do that, congrats, more power to you. If that created a spike of anxiety throughout your system, we should chat. Head over to WorksmartHypnosisLive.com to see all the details about our next live and online event. You can attend comfortably in the privacy of your own home or your own office wearing pajama pants. I will guarantee that I'm often wearing pajama pants as I teach this from my home office. And be sure to watch the video at the top of that WorksmartHypnosisLive.com page for a complete tour as to exactly how we do this program in an interactive component, in an interactive format, live and online. Check that out, worksmarthypnosislive.com. And hey, good to be back with a phenomenal guest to kick us back into gear. So here we go, session number 391, Nicole Weber on subconscious performability. Well, I think I was 12, maybe 13. And my uncle attended a class in AT, and uh, he had he had a big bookshelf at home, and I loved reading books. I was such a bookworm, and so I always, when I was visiting him, I was browsing through the shelf, and there was a, a very well. Now it's a classic German hypnosis book. The High Art of Hypnosis oh, yeah. <laughs> from Kurt Tepperwein. And I was instantly <laughs> enthralled with this title. And so uh, I asked him whether I could read it. I still have it. He, <laughs> he gifted it to me later on. And so I, I read the whole thing. There was a test about how hypnotizable you are and it taught you self-hypnosis and a couple of, you know, hypnosis tricks. And um, 
I try them on my friends and it worked fine. And that was the way I got hooked, really. Yeah. I've got to ask, though, because like, you know, here's the test to see how hypnotizable. Here's things with friends. Does a does a story come to mind of something you maybe experimented with during that time? Oh, yeah. So I had a friend. And well, this is about horses, really. I mean, I um, I used to ride back then as well. And a friend of mine was very afraid of one of uh, her uncle's horses. I don't know why this is about uncles, anyway. And um, <laughs> so it was it was a pony, and uh, it used to pull a carriage. And her uncle said that she could ride that horse, that pony. And she was way too afraid. So I rode him and he was, you know, a bit naughty, but it was fine. And so I hypnotized her to not be so afraid anymore. And then she rode him. (laughs) Nice, nice. Which we tend to bounce around in these conversations here. uh, And you've already hinted at, let's go there right away, that, uh, you know, an experience with horses and riding and all things equestrians. For those that might not be familiar with you, can you talk a bit about your history with horse riding and everything equestrian arts? Oh, of course. I'd love to. I love talking about horses. <laughs> I can do that all day and about hypnosis. So I think I was uh, almost two years old when we moved to El Paso, Texas. And my mom loved horses. And um, there was a nearby ranch, the Pokeroni Ranch. And she took lessons there. And she took me with her all the time. And so I have many pictures of me as a kid sitting on a horse being led by another person on that horse and so yeah that's how my love of horses started and then later on um i i got lessons too um i cared for horses in my neighborhood it was well there we had some older neighbors both of them were retired and they had one horse left and that horse carola was her name she she got out of her pasture one day and I found her just just in front of our house. So I brought her back and then they asked me whether I would want to care for her. And of course I wanted to. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a girl's dream, right? And she was like my own horse. So I could do anything with her. Uh, we would go on trail rides. I would care for her and, you know, groom her and stuff. And so, um, yeah, later when I went to university, uh, I didn't have a horse I could call my own. But then after university, I could. And then I got Schnuppi, my Iberian horse. And later on, I got a Hanoverian. Unfortunately, he has passed last year. And because all my life, horses were such a big focus of mine, when, when I started working, as a hypnotist, um, it it kind of came natural to work with equestrians as well, because there are so many equestrians who get afraid of riding after a while, maybe because they had a bad accident or something happened, the horse bolted or spooked, and um, yeah, they just became afraid. And so, yeah, I started working with equestrians, not only leisure riders, but professional riders as well. And I usually help them with their fear, but also um, I help them get better in, in riding. So improve their seat and their aids, just 
improve their communication with the horse and just feel more comfortable, more at ease, more com- confident in their riding, really. Well, there's something Sorry. very interesting inside of that, which is, you know, so often the new hypnotist is looking at the stuff that, you know, everyone else talks about, whether it's the more obvious categories of quitting smoking, losing weight, right. overcoming a fear. And there's something really, really amazing to be modeled in your story, which is that you started with an audience that you were already familiar with. You looked right. at a group that you already had rapport and knowledge inside of. And I was curious to ask, you know, in the early days of doing hypnosis, was that the main focus? Were you doing more of the other, let's say, standard fare along the way too? Yeah, I was. Um, I was always focusing on both. So I, I had an office in Hanover where people would come and see me. Um, and at first, and in Germany, I wasn't at that time licensed as a therapist. Now I am, and I've been for many years, but when I started, I was only allowed to do, you know, smoking cessations, weight loss, um, stuff like that. But it soon was that people came to me, mostly women who were abused and traumatized. So I focused a lot on um, trauma and anxiety once I was a therapist or had that license so that was then the one main um, pillar of my business and the other one was equestrians and it it tends to shift once in a while so right now I'd say it's probably 50-50 in this yeah. point of time sometimes it's, it's more sometimes it's less it's just um it also depends on what season we are in, whether there are many equestrians trying to boost their performance for then next competition season, really. <laughs> oh, so. Well, you hinted at something here that I'm curious to hear, which is that, you know, inside of any community, there's always some level of knowledge, some level of even expertise or even common issue that the outside people may not necessarily know of. Uh, for those that perhaps are not familiar with some of the issues that, you hinted at this before, but some of the issues that someone in that world would reach out to a hypnotist to address, like what are some of those common situations that pop up? Fear. Absolutely. Riding fear. I'd say this is the number one issue. So that they, for instance, people call me and say, you know, I love to go on trail rides and now I'm just so afraid. I sit at home and I think, oh, today would be such an awesome day. And then I look out my window and I see it's windy. And whenever it's windy, my horse spooks so easily and then I just end up lunging him. And I love to go on trail rides and is there anything you can do to help me? get back in the saddle and hit the trails yeah so this is this is really common does it tend or, to be that kind of pattern where you know there's, I, I would simplify it and say there's two types of fears one type is that i'm afraid this is going to happen it never really has but it might yeah and then the yeah. other type of fear is i'm afraid this is going to happen because it has before and i don't want it to Absolutely. happen again how, how much Absolutely. of it is that anticipatory versus that no something happened and there's a good reason why I would say with people who come see me and 70%, I'd say um, they had something happen 
and 30% haven't. Yeah. Does that change the process for you in any way? No, not really. Yeah, that's interesting. How so? Because I feel there's always a cause for fear. And typically, when you work with an equestrian, that cause has nothing to do with horses and doesn't have anything to do with riding. Um, I mean, most of the people who come see me, they say, I know exactly what course this. I had this, whatever, uh, ride and this happened and I fell down and I broke my arm. And after that, I just couldn't get on anymore. So that's what caused it. But when we, um, when we do hypnosis, we usually find something else in their childhood, some, you know, some issue where they had a sense of not being in control anymore, of not feeling safe or overwhelmed with something or being left alone. And uh, usually I I always fear uh, or I always think with fear. um, It's like you have this huge pot (laughs) that gets filled with uh, emotions and incidents. And at one point, this pot is just filled and it spills over. And that's when the fear really starts and kicks in. But the pot got filled or it started to fill way, way earlier. And so because of that, it doesn't really change my process much. The process is different depending on whether I work with a professional rider, someone who earns her his their livelihood with riding, or with someone whose passion is horses and riding, but you know, they they work in a different area. Yeah. So then that's interesting too that, you know, it's not quite the thing. It's still back to the perception, the expectation. Uh what what kind of approaches have you found to be effective in addressing that? With with riding fear, I say there's. It depends also on what kind of horse they uh, they ride, or what kind of horse they own. Uh, so there are horses don't give a damn about the emotions of their owner, <laughs> <laughs> and that really is. I have a cat like that. Best. Yeah. <laughs> But it's the best situation for this, you know, if the, if the horse really doesn't care whether the rider is uh, afraid and just walks on mm-hmm. uh, without being bothered, it's, it's so much easier than, say, you have a horse that is very sensitive to, <laughs> to the human's emotions and gets afraid as well and gets spooky and does weird stuff which gives the horse and uh, the human so much more reason to be afraid so i would say um we'd have a different process then as well right um because what i what i do and what i feel makes me a bit special in this kind of work is i'm also a riding instructor and i'm an equine osteopath so i if i ha- work with a leisure rider um I have a look at the horse, um, evaluate them, check whether they have any physical issues, whether their uh, equipment fits right. Um, Most of the time there are issues because when you have a human sitting on top of you who is afraid and tenses up all the time, uh, you kind of, you might tense up too and you get maybe muscle ache or uh, if people sit in the cell in a weird way, 
the saddle changes and so that could hurt the horse and so i look into that and then i work with a human and the horse first on the ground and then while they're riding and i hypnotize them while they're riding and um i mean for them they don't they don't know um that they are being hypnotized because i mean most people have that perception of hypnosis that you sit in an office and you close your eyes and you relax (laughs) but i mean you and i we know it can work in different ways (laughs) well i go back to the example of here was a physical therapist who went through a training that i was doing one time and he was the one going okay so it may not formally be hypnosis but there's something extremely hypnotic that's going on because they're doing a repetitive series of actions i'm helping them to relax and i'm talking them through the experience so as he put Mm -hmm. it as a physical therapist if it was happening organically anyway, he might as well learn how to do it on purpose, which kind right. of brings me to a question, which I feel the need to give a disclaimer to before I ask it. And okay. it's the disclaimer kind of more in the context of a story, which is to this day, we just celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary and my wife when asked, Congratulations. Oh, he, oh, thank you. And people will go, did he hypnotize you to fall in love with you? And for a while, uh, the response was the, oh, that's so original. That's so amazing. Yeah. You thought of that question. No one's ever thought to ask me that. You're so funny, yeah. which was always in a very loving <laughs> way that they got the point that it was playful sarcasm. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I think you'll understand why I told that story when I now go, so wait, are you hypnotizing the horse? <laughs> Yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> nice, thank you. <laughs> how how would you define that? I feel when we have uh, an animal in our lives and we care a lot for that animal, and we build a connection to that animal, and you can use that connection to make changes within the animal, within the behavior, the emotions. We are able to make it feel more secure and um i sometimes use this and i also i have a very calming presence when i'm with horses so most horses get really relaxed when i'm there it's just like this sounds a bit woo -woo. (laughs) (laughs) it's like building a sphere of relaxation and confidence (laughs) and everyone within that fear at fear can feel that (laughs) no i love that and you know what comes to mind is a time where i had to express to parents when they would bring their child into what was my office when i was in virginia and it only took one time for this to happen for me to go we need a thing for that so this doesn't occur again because it was the child being brought in with mom dad and the siblings And Mm -hmm. the phrase was, well, your eight-year-old son doesn't know what an intervention is, but he knows what it feels like. Oh, yeah. So, you know, unless there's a specific child care concern, there's a reason why, and I understand these things happen, it's going to be a much more positive experience if it's one parent with the kid. And, you know, I know that we're about to, I'm sure, talk about how everything you do is not just with horses, uh, that this is now spilled over to female entrepreneurs, athletes, and other, you know, different categories. And it's how, you know, we 
and, and if it's a sales perspective, the audience can smell that feeling of hunger. The person on the other side of that sales call can sense a feeling of desperation if that's what's yeah. <laughs> underneath it. There's this nuance around public speaking and performance that I began to understand because in the former theater career, the worst job you could do was you know the one-off day job of they'd pay you and you were done with it, but to run auditions. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, because it is every perception of like these reality competition talent shows of the judges are criticized. No, it is so painful to be in the audience and watch the person bomb. You're like, and their job would be easier if everyone came in and everyone was amazing. So I I get what you're saying about it's not just the suggestion format that you and I would know of the words and the specific language patterns. It's the energy that we create that's often much more influential than anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. So then tell me about how, you know, in the early days, here you were doing some of the standard fare of hypnosis, which, yes, in Germany, there's specific laws. You then got that licensing, moving out of just stop smoking to then other things. At what point did you start to work with, let's say, I I think the right word here is performance, not just because your website is performabilityllc.com. Links in the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com. Yet this category, though, of performance, can you talk a bit about, let's say, the expansion of not just the equestrian people, but now, well, how, how would you define performance, first of all? Like, what falls into that category? Well, of course, when we talk about competition, uh performing to the best of your abilities and maybe even outperform yourself. I feel as an athlete, when you are not part of a team, you tend to try better than your competitors. But I feel you want to also outperform yourself. So you want to get better times. You want to become better in your techniques. You want to become more confident. You want to overcome self-doubt. You want to be able to deal with setbacks because you might have them, Um, whether it's like mental issues um, of just being afraid. You can become afraid of being successful. Or you can have an injury that prevents you from training if you are an athlete, for instance. Or, I mean, being an entrepreneur with the past two years of this pandemic, there was just so much going on where you needed to have mental strength to, to go forward and doing what you're doing and becoming better and, you know, not being overburdened with everything and so i would say performance for me is um, is a big part of things is there a specific category that's been let's say responding more to what you do than others yes absolutely i would say fear is a big thing whether it's uh you know being afraid of getting back into look i i work i work with an opera singer and because of the pandemic well, many, many things got canceled. She she didn't perform. She sang for herself and she was working with a friend of hers and they were recording CDs and stuff like that. But, you know, um, she wasn't able to perform in front of an audience. And then she got a gig in, well, a big city in Europe. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> say too much. I mean, she probably will never hear this, but um, I, I'm very confident. Uh, I'm very, well, I usually don't name my clients. 
Um, I, I really so appreciate it, that. And that was a big <laughs> thing of when I was in the Washington, D.C. area of it only took the, my opposite of that was the time that I asked, when did these sleeping problems begin? Do you remember a time frame where it started? And he then told me, and apparently the worst way to build rapport was what I then responded with. I'm like, oh, I read that article. That was you. So yeah, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate the ambiguity that's there. Yes. Yeah. So she got a rather important uh, role. Let's, let's leave it at that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> she got a very important role. And uh, she was just afraid she couldn't, she couldn't do it because she said that the last year there was nothing. I mean, this uh, it was last year I, I was working with her, and um, she was. I I I have never had stage fright, and now whenever I think about that, I have to perform in front of this big audience on this big stage. Um, I I feel I can't do it. And so, I mean, I worked with her and she was very happy with her performance. So I think both of us did good. I feel she did more good than I did because I feel it's my, it's my client's success, really. I just helped them get there. But yeah, so I feel fear is a real big thing, whether it's um, stage fright, performance fear, whether it's um, I'm... I'm afraid to be successful. What will happen then? What will my friends say, my family? Sometimes it's something that's subconscious. I just don't get where I want to go. Um, or with athletes, fear of an injury. I might have one already, and now they're afraid to do this specific technique. I'd be curious to ask because, you know, as I mentioned before, that many of the people in this audience I've put into the category of people who already do hypnosis who want mm -hmm. to do hypnosis better. And I, I love a quote that you had said a moment ago that was helping people to the best of their abilities or better, that mm -hmm. it's really that sort of internal competition with themselves. And right. what I'd say is the audience that tends to listen to this program are often people who, you know, are substantially trained and yet it's the confidence to get out there and begin. So I'd be curious just to kind of get a bit of a, I'm imagining, of course, everything's always customized to the person who's in front of you. Um, though then again, the more we do it, the more we find our very reliable patterns. Like what are some of the techniques that'll find its way into the process working with your clients? Um, I, I love parts therapy I love regression um, so um, I, I do a lot of this um, find causes find knots to loosen those knots <laughs> and it's also a lot of well my, my client talks a lot while, while he or she is in hypnosis yeah uh, we talk about the issue and once I come to the point where I, I always say, and today you came with a problem, and both of us know what kind of problem that is, and I, I think your, some, uh, your subconscious knows it even better than both of us. And while I'm talking about this and just saying there is a problem, I know that you have feelings connected to this problem. And while I'm saying this, it can be that you can feel that emotion somewhere in your body. And then we'll go from there and see where it leads us. So it depends really on whether they had a traumatic incident in the past. 
I, I would put it in a way I, I don't want to re-traumatize people and I feel when you put a lot of buffers <laughs> on it, you can do these techniques in a very safe way. I like to help you expand clients. on that uh, buffer concept. I, I really like that because for every sort of the infighting that's often inside of our world of this technique is good, this technique is bad. If you don't use this oh, one, yeah. you're not going to get results. Um, yeah. Which you've heard my catchphrase on this, never, ever use absolutes. And of course, we realize that's an no. absolute. And with the right framing, I mean, the playful one is that someone once said, yes, well, it's inappropriate, though, to use hypnotic phenomenon to bring a stranger into your office and lock their eyes shut and tell them they can't <laughs> open it. I'm like, well, yeah, it's weird if you phrase it that way. So don't phrase yeah. it that way. <laughs> yeah, Let absolutely. me give you an opportunity to discover the power of your own mind. And have some right. fun with this in a moment, and then there are different framing. How do you how do you do that buffer then? Yeah, first of all, I don't talk about I don't I don't specifically name the problem. Once mm -hmm. once they're in a trance, I just say the problem. Yes. I say the emotion or the feeling that's connected to the problem, and say wherever that might lead us. Sometimes when when I sense there's dread in the air of what might come up for for instance i don't you don't have to re if you use regression for instance you don't have to regress to a certain uh to a certain incident you can just regress to a general time frame um and what i like doing is uh when i when i sense that they are dreading something that this could come up and i don't want it to come up or they don't want it to come up i could for instance say something like a picture of you will pop into your mind uh, a picture of a time when this started nice. and it's just a picture yeah and then we go from there and uh we never talk about stuff that happened only only you know there's a part of you that has this problem and let's see whoever that part is and how we can help that part Everybody go back and listen to that last 60 seconds because there's, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. The whole work smart philosophy is, you know, about how do we often break away from tradition that just became tradition for the sake of tradition. And I've heard some massively convoluted ways to do regression in a dissociated way. And mm -hmm. um, no, imagine a picture done. Mm -hmm. Nice. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we can either say that's being stolen or that's being modeled immediately. Uh, th there's part of the story you mentioned, though, about the opera singer, which is yeah. that, uh, and I think this is, <laughs> we, we took a small pause from doing episodes of this program as there's a uh, website relaunch that's any day now. Can you hear me shrugging? Because there's a lot of moving <laughs> pieces to pull it off. And also it did kind of briefly become the let's still talk about the <laughs> results after the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. I'm like, no, that's not what the show is. Let's just hit a pause for a month and then come back strong. Uh, yet there's a major pivot in the works in your life. And uh, yeah. you may have the bragging rights. Uh, here we are on, uh, I've got the number here. Um, it only took us until episode number 391 uh, for me to invite someone to already be on the show a second time before we even recorded the first one. Congrats. <laughs> Which is this migration from Germany. No, it's because I said, you know, hey, let's make this more about what is there right now yeah. as opposed to what's coming. So it's not right. the audience going, oh, I want that because it's coming soon and we'll... <laughs> have you on soon. But can you talk us through this 
big migration, asks the guy who threw everything away to then move a thousand miles away himself and wants to hear it for my benefit too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I grew up in the U.S. And um, when we moved back to Germany, it was horrible for me <laughs> because there I was. I had lived in the desert and I was used to, you know, a, a warm and dry climate. And I was thrown into rainy, green Germany. And I just, I don't know. I kind of felt like an outsider mm -hmm. in school. And I mean, I had friends, of course, but I never felt German. I always felt like an American kid being thrown into another country and expected to be a good German. <laughs> and that was, it was difficult for me. And from that time on, it was always, yeah, in, in my future, I would say to move back to the U.S., But unfortunately, I'm a German citizen. Mm -hmm. So I, I say unfortunately because, uh, well, I can't just come to the U.S. and uh, a lot of you know, move piece. here and yeah. uh, work. I'm just not allowed to do that. Uh, if I were my sister, it would be easy because <laughs> she's an American citizen. I'm not. So now, right now, I, we are selling our house and then... I'm gonna invest a bit more into my company and then probably next year, I think that's that's very probable sometime mid next year, I hope we will be on a plane and have one way ticket. Mm -hmm. Nice. Which you are recording and you're in Colorado at the moment as we're recording this, but that's more of a temporary trip, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's why I'm the just... audio is so good is that it doesn't have to travel through the tubes of the internet so, uh, so right. far. Right. It's, right. I, don't know how this all works. So, but what's really something to be admired in that is it's, correct me on this, it's a bit more of a personal lifestyle goal. And I, I, I meet so many people. I got pushback when I did my move because it's often that, and this <laughs> directly relates over to the work that we do, people hold on to the story as to what was before. Uh, yeah. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? And I've picked yeah. up in the time that I've known you this real, look, I'll figure it out kind of attitude yeah, right yeah <laughs> does that uh is that going to change sort of the balance of let's say how you spend your time because i know you also do trainings you also see clients you also have a life outside of your business in this migration are you looking at also sort of you know pivoting that balance too well i feel i mean i feel if you want to move to another country and build a life there probably that balance in the first month will shift more towards working more because you just need to right yeah yeah so so i feel in the beginning we will probably work our asses off yeah for everybody who saw my series of hey i'm doing this in the corner of this airbnb that we rented um where i my greatest asset because we bounced around as we moved my greatest asset was not just my skill set and knowledge it and yeah. you know business identity it was the hundred foot ethernet cable because every Ooh. rental had horrible internet and <laughs> i would run <laughs> i developed this is a skill set to call the uh message the owner of the airbnb and just go call your cable company increase the internet to the highest speed they can do without replacing the equipment i will pay you the difference and oh 
the three of them all did it and just went, don't worry about it. One of them came out and completely switched it from cable internet to fiber optic. And, oh, uh, <laughs> but, and that was tell the story of the guy who bought an office and then shut everything down to then be the do hypnosis anywhere guy. But also that yeah. was, hey, this is expensive to pull off. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Which I am on your site right now, which again, I'm going to link to Performability LLC over in the show notes at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. I'd be curious about to hear your personal take on this thing that people classify as imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Because, oh, it's become popular now to think you're full of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. <trending>. Absolutely. <laughs> and you will find that uh, term on my website as well, of course. Well, first of all, I'd say, and now I have to kind of dive into something different, neurodivergency. Yes. I feel most neurodivergent people because they feel like other um, kind of suffer from imposter syndrome because they feel all their life, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, not maybe whatever they're doing, they may have certain spots and areas within their life where they feel comfortable. But in, I would say probably in the biggest areas of their lives, they just feel like an alien and feel being different and how can you be confident in yourself and your abilities uh, when you feel not being part of society, for instance, when you feel other people want you to be something else or someone else? And because many athletes are gifted in a way, it can be also with their cognitive abilities or... People with ADHD or on the spectrum, they can outperform themselves and other people, but, but often they feel like not being part of society, for instance, of just being different in school and university, at the workplace. And so I feel within neurodivergent folks, imposter syndrome is a big thing. And I feel if you look at entrepreneurs, for instance, what people are those? <laughs> you will find many people with ADHD mm -hmm. who pick up self-employment instead of working for other people, gifted people. And so I think it's um, a play as a vital role in being an entrepreneur or being self-employed, that you might deal with self-doubt. That is a fascinating way of defining it. And without getting into massive detail, everybody stay tuned for episode number 397 coming out on December 29th. I'll keep it brief on that. No, but that way of, I heard a version of this conversation inside of, you know, that, that way of looking at it, which is no, that I'm in this category because it's correct that I don't quite fit in. It's correct that I right. do things differently than other yeah. people. It's the sort of side note that there's a friend of mine in the real estate world that he runs basically four different levels of his coaching program. And yeah. to hear him define the different levels, not through the filters of financial success, but through the filters of more so the, you know, the sort of hero's journey yeah. along the way that there's something incredibly lonely that can occur at a level of success. And I heard the subtext of that was embracing the fact that we don't quite fit in 
and thinking differently. And, you know, I, I see this in you as much as others have said this of me at times to go, I couldn't do that. Oh, mm-hmm. Jason's doing this, doing this. Oh, and he's launching another podcast. I couldn't do that. It's like, well, here's the pieces that have to be in order to then pull that off. Granted, we just pretended one of the other shows never existed and just went, nope, we're just moving on. <laughs> but there's that sort of mindset around that. That's, oh, that's going to keep me up tonight. And I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So that that's a way of defining it, though. How would you define the way out of it or through it? I'm not Mm -hmm. sure the right action verb for that question. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. I definitely say it's a journey. And for certain people, it might just take a small moment in time to get there. And for other people, it's a much longer journey. And every journey is different. But maybe for some people, it helps knowing whether they fit into the neurodivergent categories for instance if you just know oh uh, okay maybe maybe i'm uh, i'm doing things different because i have adhd or just because my mind needs to work on thousand different things all the time and i just can't focus on this one thing that everyone wants me to focus on and i just can't and this is not because i'm too stupid <laughs> right it's and it's just not because the, not my brain enough, works yeah. this way it's that same thing back to the beginning of this conversation as to what is it that <laughs> i always crack the joke in a horrible way that either the word enthusiast is the most inspiring word or the most alarming (laughs) word. Um, Yet it is (laughs) for anything um, to look at the world and go, nope, I'm doing my own thing. I'm launching my business. The brain has to work differently to develop the passion and the skill set to become as world-class and yes, hypnotize the horse, Nicole. um, (laughs) The brain has to work differently. And it's, it's always the you know, skill sets. And it's only, I'll give a preview of this end of the year episode. It's the time that we had a bunch of external family things all shake down around the same time and like nothing Mm -hmm. directly us and like a lot of things and everything's good now. Yet I had the moment to go, you know what? Here's a friend of mine who was going through a major spinal reconstructive surgery and insisted he and his wife go through marriage counseling. And she's like, oh, is everything okay? He goes, yeah, that's why we're going to do it. Everything is okay. But during this surgery and recovery, I'm not going to be myself. So let's have a place that we can deal with things before they get, you know, spiral into something worse. And so all these, it was amazing. And all of us, so based on that, I'm like, hey, here's all the stuff that went down. Let me go talk to a therapist for a couple of appointments, which leads to this moment where in passing, I'm talking with her and I say, well, the way that I look at it, sometimes it's only diagnosable if it's not serving you. Mm-hmm. And she pauses and goes, what was that? I go, it's <laughs> only diagnosable if it's not serving you. And she like puts down her notebook and she's like, Jason, I needed to hear that today. Thank you. I'm like, yeah. my insurance is paying for every bit of this. If you want to switch seats today, we can if you want. She's like, let's just talk. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for what I'm assuming is a vacation, taking time out of your day to, to record with us here for what very obviously is going to be a, a part one of this uh, bigger conversation. Aside from shifting time zones and traveling and planning and visas, oh my, um, what's the best way for people to find out more about you? What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Well, on my website, there's a contact form. And of course, well, uh, everyone can can find me on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I'm not very active on LinkedIn, but on Facebook I am. So that's a good way to 
get in contact with me, I'd say. Excellent. And we'll put notes, uh, links to everything in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com. Nicole, thanks so much for joining. Before we wrap this up, any- Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate this. Any (laughs) final thoughts for the listeners out there? Just believe in yourself, whether other people believe in you or not. It doesn't matter. Just believe in yourself. You can do this. I'm Jason Lynette, and thank you once again for joining us on this program. The best thing you can do to help us to continue to grow and reach even more people to spread this awareness around exactly how we as hypnotists can not just survive, but also thrive, no matter the economy, no matter who's in political power, no matter whatever stuff people are saying that presents this idea that this has to be hard. That's sort of the, uh, we'll call it 3.0 version of work smart hypnosis. It's about resiliency within yourself. It's about representing hypnosis professionally. And I can quote it no better than saying these are the words of Steve Martin, how to become so good they can't ignore you. Best way for you to help us continue to reach new people is to share this on your social media streams, to leave your reviews online, anywhere you can leave reviews for podcasts. And hey, let's keep this conversation going. Reach out to Nicole. You can see all of her contact details in the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com. And I'd love to hang out with you. Check out worksmarthypnosislive.com. This is the training that combines evidence-based hypnosis along with phenomenon-based change. Your client's issue is kinesthetic. No matter how they describe it, they can feel that something needs to change within them. Therefore, doesn't it make sense to create a hypnotic experience where they can feel the change taking place and just completely crush the old nonsense of, I felt relaxed, I guess something happened. That alongside, this is why I bring Dr. Richard Nongard on board for the event too. It's the thing that should not have to be trending as the new sexy thing in our industry, evidence-based hypnosis. If you wanna get referrals, if you wanna be taken seriously, I am convinced the problem with the hypnotic industry has nothing to do with the public perception. There are too many of you holding on to the old story that people are cautious around it, people are afraid of it, and again, thank you, Steve Martin. Someone connect me with him, we'll get him on the show. He might be available become so good they can't ignore you, that is the mechanism that needs to be there. How did I get back to that talking about Richard Nongard and evidence-based hypnosis? No, but if you're gonna be taken seriously, the best thing that we can do is for us to be out there with our own personal platforms, our own megaphones, speaking about how amazing this work is. How do you get there? You do a hypnotic process that creates change. Funny how that works. And you speak about it in a professional way where people take notice because indeed you become so good they can't ignore you. We'd love to help you out with that. Check out the details. Watch the entire video tour at WorkSmartHypnosisLive.com. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. 